Do take a seat. And do make sure you can see James chapter 3 in front of you. We're going to be spending a bit of time looking at that together now. And as you turn up James 3 and make sure you can see it, I want you to imagine um, that next Sunday evening is going to be Fancy Dress Sunday. It's going to be Fancy Dress Sunday. Uh, some of you are more excited about that than others. Um, and on Fancy Dress Sunday, the theme is going to be wisdom. Think, who would you come as? Uh, Fancy Dress Sunday and the theme of wisdom. Uh, Maybe you would come as a great mind uh, like Sir Isaac Newton. Maybe uh, a great writer like Shakespeare. Uh, Maybe a great artist like Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe like me, you'd come as Yoda. Whoever you pick, uh, the point is that we all have different ideas when it comes to wisdom. Uh, different ideas as to what makes a person wise. And as we've just had read in our passage this evening, James uh, wants to show us what real wisdom is all about. Uh, He says there at the start of the passage in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? James wants us to think about wisdom, to consider wisdom, to ask ourselves what makes someone wise. And in the second half of that verse, he he begins to give his answer. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. James says right off the start, wisdom is seen primarily not in what we know, but in what we do. And given all that we've seen so far in his letter, I guess that answer shouldn't really surprise us. What I mean by that is that as we've gone through uh, James's letter, he's been showing us, hasn't he, time and time again, that what is on the inside always shows itself on the outside in the way that we live. So if you can remember back in chapter 1, we saw how as we humbly accept God's word inside us, it'll produce fruit in our lives. We won't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, we saw how true faith is seen in action. That if we put our faith in Jesus, if we're trusting in him, then our life, it won't stay the same. But instead, it will visibly change to look more like Jesus. What's on the inside shows itself on the outside. And so, just as God's word is seen in our works, just as true faith is seen in action, now James says true wisdom is seen in a humble life that is full of good deeds. Now, as uh, the ideas that might have popped into your head for Fancy Dress Sunday might have shown, that is quite different to the world's idea of wisdom. You see, the world is quite comfortable separating those two things, isn't it? What we know and what we do. And so it's often the case that someone can be thought of as an expert, as a wise person, with very little reference to the way that they live. We happily read or listen to the wisdom of a politician or a a TV celebrity, but sometimes pay very little attention to what they do with their life. And so James says that isn't how true wisdom works. He says if you want to know whether someone really is wise, look at their life. In other words, God has a very different idea when it comes to wisdom. 
And in these next few verses, James is going to show us how that difference plays out. He does that first by showing us that worldly wisdom is all about me. Worldly wisdom is all about me. Just look at verse 14 with me. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James begins with his description of worldly wisdom, and he says the big things that characterise this kind of wisdom are bitter envy and selfish ambition. In other words, worldly wisdom, the wisdom you're given from preschool through to university, from films through to Facebook, says that life is all about me. It says that your number one priority in every decision you make, in every relationship that you enter, should be to look after yourself first and then others after. You are the most important person in your life. In fact, I think the wisdom of the world today would go so far as to say that not doing that, not, in, not putting yourself first, not being true to your needs and your desires, is somehow deeply and morally wrong. And so if life is all about me, well then obviously I should do whatever I can to get the best for myself. I should make sure that I have all that I want and all that I need in life. That would be the right thing to do. In other words, worldly wisdom is all about selfish ambition. And if life is all about me and all about getting all that I can for myself, well then, again, obviously, I'll begin to look around me and compare myself to others. To look at others and see if they have something that that I ought to have. I'll compare myself to them and, and see if they have something that I want. And, and if they do, well, I'll, I'll begin to get jealous. And if they have it and I can't have it, well, then I might get bitter and, and envious because, well, because their life seems so much better than mine. And that can't be right. Worldly wisdom, says James, is full of bitter envy and selfish ambition. And just notice where he says those things are found. He says, if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Because it's quite easy, isn't it, to to disguise jealousy. Uh, It's quite easy to to hide ambition under something else. But James says, no, just because you can give a good impression of being content when you're around other people or, or hiding selfish ambition as just being driven, that doesn't mean that those things aren't there bubbling away in your heart. And so, right, at the beginning, a question for us to reflect on when it comes to these things is, well, it's how do I feel when other people succeed? How do I feel when other people succeed? When a colleague at work gets a promotion? When a friend at school does well in an exam? When someone else's children seem to be achieving when someone else's ministry is celebrated, am I able to genuinely rejoice in the success of others? Or do those things just end up with me feeling angry, bitter, jealous about what they have? 
Well, James says, worldly wisdom is all about me. It constantly compares to others. It, it constantly wants what they have and it, and it can't cope when it doesn't get it. And so he says at the end of verse 14, if that's you, if that's the way that you feel, well, don't boast about being wise. Don't boast and deny the truth because although that's what the world says wisdom is all about, it's not what God says. In fact, he says in verse 15 that that kind of wisdom that that puts me at the center and says I should focus on myself even at the cost of others, that kind of wisdom has nothing to do with spirituality. It has nothing to do with being a Christian. No, he says it's demonic. And like we saw last week with the tongue, things that are demonic, demonic wisdom, it leads to destruction. Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It's obvious, isn't it? If you get a group of people together, like a group like us this evening, whose main concern in life is themselves, well, the inevitable outcome is going to be disunity, fighting. If we treat the church as an opportunity for self-promotion and self-service, well, everybody else either becomes a resource, someone who can help us, who can benefit us, enable us to get what we want. There'll be a resource or, or there'll be a rival, someone in our way, someone we're competing with to do what we want to do. And so as we're going to see next week, what ends up happening is we wage war with each other because of our self-centered desires, because of the me-centered wisdom that the world says is so wonderful. Worldly wisdom is all about me. And James says that the only thing that can achieve is division and eventually destruction in the church. And I don't know about you, but at, at this point in James, after five or so weeks of listening to this letter, it's felt a little bit like five weeks in the ring with Anthony Joshua, hasn't it? It's quite a hard-hitting letter, James. There's not really any wriggle room when it comes to those awkward topics of our tongue and, and our wallet. And now James is hammering us again for being self-centred. Something that all of us struggle with every day. And so I think as we hear James's challenge at this point, it's worth remembering the tone of his letter. Last week, if you hear, I pointed out that it's a letter full of family language. James repeatedly talks about his beloved brothers and sisters. He surrounds those hard-hitting words with words of affection family language. And so what we mustn't do is think of James as some sort of drill sergeant or personal trainer just shouting commands at us each week. No, no, think of him as a, a loving brother, a brother who speaks to his family, who puts his arm around you and says, look, if you have these things in your heart, if you're bitter, if you're jealous, don't boast about it. Don't be drawn into the world's way of thinking that, that somehow it's okay to feel those things because that's just part of living for you. 
James says, don't deny the truth that God has put in you. Because true wisdom is not about you. And that leads us to the next thing he wants us to see, that the godly wisdom is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at verse 17 with me. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Real wisdom, heavenly wisdom, James says, it comes not from the world around us, but from the God above us. And we've seen that already, haven't we? Think back to chapter 1, verse 5, where James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously. And so wisdom, real wisdom, is not something that that we can achieve by just reading lots of big books. It's not something we get from spending time with clever people. No, it's something that God gives us. Which means the first thing we have to do is humbly come to him and ask for it. And as we do that, as we ask God for wisdom, James says back in chapter 1 that we can be confident he will give it to us. And then he says here in chapter 3 that the result will be seen in the way that we live. So what does God-given heavenly wisdom look like in practice? Well, in contrast, I think it looks, uh, unlike uh, worldly wisdom which has me at the centre, heavenly wisdom puts God at the centre. And so in verse 17, James lists these characteristics which are essentially marks of the truly wise, truly humble person he began with in verse 13. And so he says wisdom from above, first of all, leads to purity. It leads to a desire to to be more like God, to be holy as he is holy. Uh, Not comparing ourselves to to other people and uh, and somehow feeling satisfied or smug that, uh, well, at least I'm better than them. Instead, we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus. The true wisdom compares to the one who is perfectly pure, perfectly holy, the one who calls us and enables us to be holy like him. Which means true wisdom is also peace-loving because it's the wisdom that looks to Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker, the one who brought us peace with God and with each other. It looks to Jesus and it listens to Jesus when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so James says, if you are someone who considers yourself wise, ask yourself, am I someone who strives for peace? At home, at school, at work, with your children, with your spouse, with those closest to you and those who frankly just get on your nerves. Do you promote peace? We heard at the members meeting earlier this week and and again this morning about the church's vision for the next five years. About how we want to continue to reach people with the gospel and train people for ministry. And part of that I guess is a lot of planning and strategizing and thinking about how we can be most effective at doing those things. And one of the things that we do in amongst all that is pray for wisdom. And you see, here James is saying that part of that prayer, part of praying for wisdom, will mean asking God to grow us in this 
attitude of being peace lovers, peacemakers in the church. Which means as we make big decisions over the next few years, there'll be all sorts of potential for, for arguing and disunity and those sorts of things. And so we need to humbly come to God and ask that we would be those who constantly sow the seeds of peace. Because true wisdom is peace-loving. Next, in verse 17, we see that wisdom from above is considerate and submissive. It puts other people first. It's the kind of wisdom that Paul says in Philippians 2 has the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't use equality with God to his own advantage out of selfish ambition, but but instead made himself nothing. That made himself a servant, a, a slave. Humbled himself even to death on a cross. And so true wisdom humbly puts other people first. It values others above yourself. It considers others' needs more important than your needs. True wisdom is considerate and submissive. Next he says it's full of mercy and good fruit. It's the kind of wisdom that remembers every single day that we are people who have received God's mercy. It remembers that the only reason that we have a relationship with God at all is because of his mercy in sending his son for us. And so unlike the wisdom of the world that that puts me at the centre and says, well, I should pay anyone back that wrongs me or, or hurts me, heavenly wisdom says, no. No, no, show mercy. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Heavenly wisdom is full of love and kindness and gentleness towards others. It's patient and self-controlled even when others upset us. It's full of the good fruit that the Spirit produces. And then finally James says that wisdom from above is impartial and sincere. We've already seen, haven't we, back in chapter 2 that we're not to show favoritism. That grace means we are equal before the Lord. And so who are we to to stand in judgment over other people, to rank them as more important or more valuable than anyone else? You see what James is saying? Heavenly wisdom is real wisdom because it puts Jesus and not me at the centre And unlike the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that leads to this selfishness and destruction, James says in verse 18 that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, as we receive this wisdom, as we strive for peace and not division, then we grow in righteousness. We grow in the Christ-like characteristics we've just seen in verse 17. James said something very similar back in chapter 1. Just listen to what he said. He, he writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why does he say that? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so you see, it's the soil of peace and humility, not anger and division, that allows 
righteousness to grow in the lives of God's people. It's the soil of peace and humility, not anger and division, that allows righteousness to grow in the lives of God's people. Which means, when a husband humbly asks God for the wisdom to make them a peacemaker in their marriage, to put his wife's needs before his own, to love her sacrificially, James says that'll produce a harvest of righteousness in her life and in his. When a teenager asks God to help them be a peacemaker in the home, to be considerate towards their siblings, and to be submissive towards their parents, James says that will produce a harvest of righteousness in their life and in the life of their family. When we humbly ask God for the wisdom to be peacemakers in the church, when we're quick to forgive, when we're patient with each other, when we look around and see family to love and not people to compete with, the result will be a harvest of righteousness. As together, collectively, we grow to be more like Christ. So you see, James says true wisdom comes from above. It comes from God. And it produces peace and righteousness in the lives of those who receive it. And that means we need to come to God and ask him. We need to humbly ask him that he would first of all remove from us, remove from the church, the worldly wisdom that so easily creeps in. The wisdom that says life is all about me. And we need to pray that as we look to Christ, as we see him in his word, that we would be filled with godly wisdom. A wisdom that produces peace in our relationships and righteousness in our lives. Let's ask God for that kind of wisdom now. Let's pray together. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him we see true wisdom, all wisdom in him. Father, thank you that we can come to you and ask for this kind of wisdom and that you generously give it to us. And so, Father, we pray this evening and this week you would work in us by your Spirit. Uh, You would give us wisdom to be more like your Son, the Lord Jesus. That we would display those characteristics in our lives, not for our glory, not because life is all about me, but because it's all about him. And so we pray for his namesake. Amen.